Wee Willie Winkie by Rudyard Kipling. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James Christopher. Wee Willie Winkie by Rudyard Kipling. His full name was Percival William Williams, but he picked up the other name in a nursery book, and that was the end of christened titles. His mother's ayah called him Willie Baba, but as he never paid the faintest attention to anything that the ayah said, her wisdom did not help matters. His father was the colonel of the 195th, and as soon as wee Willie Winkie was old enough to understand what military discipline meant, Colonel Williams put him under it. There was no other way of managing the child. When he was good for a week, he drew good conduct pay, and when he was bad, he was deprived of his good conduct stripe. Generally he was bad, for India offers so many chances to little six-year-olds of going wrong. Children resent familiarity from strangers, and wee Willie Winkie was a very particular child. Once he accepted an acquaintance, he was graciously pleased to thaw. He accepted Brandis, a subaltern of the 195th, on sight. Brandis was having tea at the Colonel's, and wee Willie Winkie entered strong in the possession of a good conduct badge, one for not chasing hens round the compound. He regarded Brandis with gravity for at least ten minutes, and then delivered himself of his opinion. "'I like you,' he said slowly, getting off his chair and coming over to Brandis. "'I like you. I shall call you Copy, because of your hair. Do you mind being called Copy? It is because of the hair, you know.' Here was one of the most embarrassing of wee Willie Winkie's peculiarities. He would look at a stranger for some time, and then, without warning or explanation, would give him a name. And the name stuck. No regimental penalties could break wee Willie Winkie of this habit. He lost his good conduct badge for christening the commissioner's wife, Pobbs, but nothing that the colonel could do could make the station forego the nickname, and Miss Colin remained Mrs. Pobbs until the end of her stay. So Brandis was christened Copy, and rose, therefore, in the estimation of the regiment. If wee Willie Winkie took an interest in anyone, the fortunate man was envied alike by the mess and the rank and file, and in their envy lay no suspicion of self-interest. The colonel's son was idolized on his own merits entirely. Yet wee Willie Winkie was not lovely, his face permanently freckled, as his legs were permanently scratched, and, in spite of his mother's almost tearful remonstrances, he had insisted upon having his long yellow locks cut short in the military fashion. "'I want my hair like Sergeant Tummel,' said wee Willie Winkie, and his father abetting, the sacrifice was accomplished." Three weeks after the bestowal of his youthful affections on Lieutenant Brandis, henceforth to be called Copy, for the sake of brevity, wee Willie Winkie was destined to behold strange things and far beyond his comprehension. Copy returned his liking with interest. Copy had let him wear for five rapturous minutes his own big sword, just as tall as wee Willie Winkie. Copy had promised him a terrier puppy, and Copy had permitted him to witness the miraculous operation of shaving. Nay, more. Copy had said that even he, wee Willie Winkie, would rise in time to the ownership of a box of shiny knives, a silver soap-box, and a silver-handled sputter-brush, as wee Willie Winkie called it. Decidedly, there was no one except his father, who could give or take away good conduct badges at pleasure, half so wise, strong, and valiant as Copy, with the Afghan and Egyptian medals on his breast. Why, then, should Copy be guilty of the unmanly weakness of kissing, vehemently kissing, a big girl, Miss Allardyce to wit? In the course of a morning ride, wee Willie Winkie had seen Copy so doing, and, like the gentleman he was, had promptly wheeled round and cantered back to his groom, lest the groom should also see. Under ordinary circumstances he would have spoken to his father, but he felt instinctively that this was a matter on which Copy ought first to be consulted. 
Copy, shouted Wee Willie Winkie, reining up outside that subaltern's bungalow early one morning. I want to see you, Copy. Come in, young'un, returned Copy, who was at early breakfast in the midst of his dogs. What mischief have you been getting into now? Wee Willie Winkie had done nothing notoriously bad for three days, and so stood on a pinnacle of virtue. I've been doing nothing bad, said he, curling up into a long chair with a studious affectation of the colonel's languor after a hot parade. He buried his freckled nose in a teacup, and, with eyes staring roundly over the rim, asked, I say, Copy, is it proper to kiss big girls? By Jove, you're beginning early. Who do you want to kiss? No one. My mother is always kissing me if I don't stop her. If it isn't proper, how was you kissing Miss Allardyce's big girl last morning, by the canal? Copy's brow wrinkled. He and Miss Allardyce had, with great craft, managed to keep their engagement secret for a fortnight. There were urgent and imperative reasons why Major Allardyce should not know how matters stood for at least another month, and this small marplot had discovered a great deal too much. I saw you, said Wee Willie Winky calmly, but the groom didn't see. I said, Hut Jow. Oh, you had that much sense, you young rip, groaned poor Copy, half amused and half angry. And how many people may you have told about it? Only me myself. You didn't tell when I twied to ride to Buffalo when my pony was lame, and I thought you wouldn't like. Winky, said Copy enthusiastically, shaking the small hand. You're the best of good fellows. Look here. You can't understand all these things. One of these days, hang it, how can I make you see it? I'm going to marry Miss Allardyce, and then she'll be Mrs. Copy, as you say. If your young mind is so scandalized at the idea of kissing big girls, go and tell your father. What will happen? asked Wee Willie Winky, who firmly believed that his father was omnipotent. I shall get into trouble, said Copy, playing his trump card with an appealing look at the holder of the ace. Then I won't, said Wee Willie Winky briefly. But my father says it's unmanly to be always kissing, and I didn't think you'd do that, Copy. I'm not always kissing, old chap. It's only now and then, and when you're bigger you'll do it too. Your father meant that it's not good for little boys. Ah, said Wee Willie Winky, now fully enlightened. It's like the sputter-brush. Exactly, said Copy gravely. But I don't think I ever want to kiss big girls. Nor no one set my mother, and I must that, you know. There was a long pause, broken by Wee Willie Winky. Are you fond of this big girl, Copy? Awfully, said Copy. Fonder than you are of Belle, or Vibucha, or me? It's in a different way, said Copy. You see, one of these days Miss Allardyce will belong to me, but you'll grow up and command the regiment and all sorts of things. It's quite different, you see. Very well, said Wee Willie Winky, rising. If you're fond of the big girl, I won't tell anyone. I must go now. Copy rose and escorted his small guest to the door, adding, You're the best of little fellows, Winky. I tell you what. In thirty days from now you can tell if you like. Tell anyone you like. Thus the secret of the Brandis Allardyce engagement was dependent on a little child's word. Copy, who knew Wee Willie Winky's idea of truth, was at ease for he felt that he would not break promises. Wee Willie Winkie betrayed a special and unusual interest in Miss Allardyce, and, slowly revolving round that embarrassed young lady, was used to regarding her gravely with unwinking eye. He was trying to discover why Copy should have kissed her. She was not half so nice as his own mother. On the other hand, she was Copy's property, and would in time belong to him. Therefore, it behooved him to treat her with as much respect as Copy's big sword or shiny pistol. The idea that he shared a great secret in common with Copy kept Wee Willie Winky unusually virtuous for three weeks. Then the old Adam broke out, and he made what he called a campfire at the bottom of the garden. How could he have foreseen that the flying sparks would have lighted the colonel's little haystack 
and consumed a week's store for the horses. Sudden and swift was the punishment, depriving of the good conduct badge, and, most sorrowful of all, two days' confinement to barracks, the house in the veranda, coupled with the withdrawal of the light of his father's countenance. He took the sentence like the man he strove to be, drew himself up with a quivering under lip, saluted, and once clear of the room, ran to weep bitterly in his nursery, called by him my quarters. Copy came in the afternoon and attempted to console the culprit. I'm under a west, said Wee Willie Winkie mournfully, and I didn't ought to speak to you. Very early the next morning he climbed to the roof of the house, that was not forbidden, and beheld Miss Allardyce going for a ride. Where are you going? cried Wee Willie Winkie. Across the river, she answered, and trotted forward. Now the cantonment in which the 195th lay was bounded on the north by a river, dry in the winter. From his earliest years, Wee Willie Winkie had been forbidden to go across the river, and had noted that even Copy, the almost almighty Copy, had never set foot beyond it. Wee Willie Winkie had once been read to, out of a big blue book, The History of the Princess and the Goblins, a most wonderful tale of a land where the goblins were always warring with the children of men until they were defeated by one curity. Ever since that date it seemed to him that the bare black and purple hills across the river were inhabited by goblins, and, in truth, everyone had said that there lived the bad men. Even in his own house the lower halves of the windows were covered with green paper, on account of the bad men, who might, if allowed clear view, fire into peaceful drawing-rooms and comfortable bedrooms. Certainly, beyond the river, which was the end of all the earth, lived the bad men. And here was Major Allardyce's big girl, Copy's property, preparing to venture into their borders. What would Copy say if anything happened to her, if the goblins ran off with her as they did the curdy princess? She must at all hazards be turned back. The house was still. Wee Willie Winkie reflected for a moment on the very terrible wrath of his father, and then broke his arrest. It was a crime unspeakable. The low sun threw his shadow, very large and very black, on the trim garden paths, as he went down to the stables and ordered his pony. It seemed to him in the hush of the dawn that all the big world had been bidden to stand still and look at Wee Willie Winkie, guilty of mutiny. The drowsy groom handed him his mount, and since the one great sin made all others insignificant, Wee Willie Winkie said that he was going to ride over to Kapi Sahib, and went out at a foot-pace, stepping on the soft mold of the flower borders. The devastating track of the pony's feet was the last misdeed that cut him off from all the sympathy of humanity. He turned into the road, leaned forward, and rode as fast as the pony could put foot to the ground in the direction of the river. But the liveliest of twelve-two ponies can do little against the long canter of a waller. Miss Allardyce was far ahead, had passed through the corps, beyond the police post, when all the guards were asleep, and her mount was scattering the pebbles of the river bed, as wee Willie Winkie left the cantonment and British India behind him. Bowed forward and still flogging, wee Willie Winkie shot into Afghan territory, and could just see Miss Allardyce a black speck flickering across the stony plain. The reason of her wandering was simple enough. Copy, in a tone of too hastily assured authority, had told her overnight that she must not ride out by the river, and she had gone to prove her own spirit and teach Copy a lesson. Almost at the foot of the inhospitable hills, wee Willie Winkie saw the waller blunder and come down heavily. Miss Allardyce struggled clear, but her ankle had been severely twisted and she could not stand. Having thus demonstrated her spirit, she wept copiously, and was surprised by the apparition of a white, wide-eyed child in khaki, on a nearly spent pony. "'Are you badly, badly hurted?' shouted Wee Willie Winkie as soon as he was within range. "'You didn't ought to be here.' "'I don't know,' said Miss Allardyce, ruefully, ignoring the reproof. "'Good gracious, child, what are you doing here?' "'You said you was going across Wee River,' panted Wee Willie Winkie, throwing himself off his pony. 
and nobody, not even Coppy, must go across we river, and I came after you so hard, but you wouldn't stop. And now you've hurted yourself, and Coppy will be angry with me, and I've woken my arrest. I've woken my arrest. The future colonel of the 195th sat down and sobbed. In spite of the pain in her ankle, the girl was moved. Have you ridden all the way from the cantonments, little man? What for? You belong to Coppy. Coppy told me so, wailed Wee Willie Winky disconsolately. I saw him kissing you, and he said he was fonder of you than Bell, or Vibucha, or me. And so I came. You must get up and come back. You didn't ought to be here. This is a bad place, and I've woken my west. I can't move, Winky, said Miss Allardyce with a groan. I've hurt my foot. What shall I do? She showed a readiness to weep afresh, which steadied Wee Willie Winky, who had been brought up to believe that tears were the depth of unmanliness. Still, when one is as great a sinner as Wee Willie Winky, even a man may be permitted to break down. Winky, said Miss Allardyce, when you've rested a little, ride back and tell him to send someone out to carry me back in. It hurts fearfully. The child sat still for a little time, and Miss Allardyce closed her eyes. The pain was nearly making her faint. She was roused by Wee Willie Winky tying up the reins to his pony's neck and setting it free with a vicious cut of his whip that made it wicker. The little animal headed towards the cantonments. Oh, Winky, what are you doing? Hush, said Wee Willie Winky. There's a man coming, one of the bad men. I must stay with you. My father says a man must always look after a girl. Jack will go home, and then they'll come look for us. That's why I let him go. Not one man, but two or three had appeared from behind the rocks of the hills, and the heart of Wee Willie Winky sank within him, for in just this manner were the goblins wont to steal out and vex Curdie's soul. Thus they had played in Curdie's garden. He had seen the picture, and thus they had frightened the princess's nurse. He heard them talking to each other, and recognized with joy the bastard Pushto that he had picked up from one of his father's grooms, lately dismissed. People who spoke that tongue could not be the bad men. They were only natives, after all. They came up to the boulders on which Miss Allardyce's horse had blundered. Then rose from the rock wee Willie Winky, child of the dominant race, aged six and three quarters, and said briefly and emphatically, Yow! The pony across the river bed. The men laughed, and laughter from natives was the one thing wee Willie Winky could not tolerate. He asked them what they wanted, and why they did not depart. Other men, with most evil faces and crooked-stocked guns, crept out of the shadows of the hills, till soon... Wee Willie Winky was face to face with an audience some twenty strong. Miss Allardyce screamed. Who are you? said one of the men. I am the Colonel Sahib's son, and my order is that you go at once. You black men are frightening Miss Sahib. One of you must run to the cantonments and make the news that Miss Sahib has hurt herself and that the Colonel's son is here with her. Put our feet into the trap? was the laughing reply. Hear this boy's speech. Say that I sent you, I, the Colonel's son. They will give you money. What is the use of this talk? Take up the child and the girl, and we can at least ask for the ransom. Ours are the villages on the heights, said a voice in the background. These were the bad men, worse than goblins, and it needed all wee Willie Winky's training to prevent him from bursting into tears. But he felt that the cry before a native, excepting only his mother's ayah, would be an infamy greater than any mutiny. Moreover, he, as future colonel of the 195th, had that grim regiment at his back. Are you going to carry us away? said Wee Willie Winky, very blanched and uncomfortable. Yes, my little Sahib Bahadur, said the tallest of the men, and eat you afterwards. That is child's talk, said Wee Willie Winky. Men do not eat men. A yell of laughter interrupted him, but he went on firmly. And if you do carry us away, I tell you that all my regiment will come up in a day and kill you all without leaving one. Who will take my message to the Colonel Sahib? 
speech in any vernacular, and wee Willie Winkie had a colloquial acquaintance with three, was easy to the boy who could not yet manage his R's and Th's aright. Another man joined the conference, crying, O oh, foolish men, what this babe says is true. His is the heart's heart of those white troops. For the sake of peace let them go both, for if he is taken, the regiment will break loose and gut the valley. Our villages are in the valley, and we shall not escape. That regiment are devils. They broke Kokoyar's breastbone with kicks when he tried to take the rifles. And if we touch this child they will fire and rape and plunder for a month, till nothing remained. Better to send a man back to take the message and get a reward. I say that this child is their god, and that they will spare none of us, nor our women, if we harm him. It was Din Mohammed, the dismissed groom of the colonel who made the diversion, and an angry and heated discussion followed. We Willy Winky standing over Miss Allardyce waited the upshot. Surely his wedgement, his own wedgement, would not desert him if they knew of his extremity. The riderless pony brought the news to the 195th, though there had been consternation in the colonel's household for an hour before. The little beast came into the parade ground in front of the main barracks, where the men were setting down to play spoil five till the afternoon. Devlin, the color sergeant of E Company, glanced at the empty saddle and tumbled through the barracks room, kicking up each room corporal as he passed. Up, oh, ye beggars! There's something happened to the colonel's son, he shouted. He couldn't fall off, so help me. He couldn't fall off, blubbered a drummer boy. Go and hunt him across the river. He's over there if he's anywhere, and maybe those pappins have got him. For the love of God, don't look for him in the nullahs. Let's go to the river. There's sense in Mott yet, said Devlin. E Company, double out to the river. Shop. So E Company, in its shirt sleeves mainly, doubled for dear life, and in the rear toiled the perspiring sergeant, adjuring it to double yet faster. The cantonment was alive with the men of the 195th hunting for Wee Willie Winky, and the colonel finally overtook E Company, far too exhausted to swear, struggling in the pebbles of the river bed. Up the hill under which Wee Willie Winky's bad men were discussing the wisdom of carrying off the child and the girl, a lookout fired two shots. "'What have I said?' shouted Din Mohammed. "'There is a warning. The Poulton are out already, and are coming across the plain. Get away. Let us not be seen with the boy.' The men waited for an instant, and then, as another shot was fired, withdrew into the hills, silently as they had appeared. "'The wedgement is coming,' said Wee Willie Winky confidently to Miss Allardyce. "'It's all white. Don't cry.' He needed the advice himself, for ten minutes later, when his father came up, he was weeping bitterly with his head in Miss Allardyce's lap. And the men of the 195th carried him home with shouts and rejoicings, and Coppy, who had ridden a horse into a lather, met him, and to his intense disgust, kissed him openly in the presence of the men. But there was a balm for his dignity. His father assured him that not only would the breaking of arrest be condoned, but that the good conduct badge would be restored as soon as his mother could sew it on his blouse sleeve. Miss Allardyce had told the colonel the story that made him proud of his son. "'She belonged to you, Coppy,' said Wee Willie Winky, indicating Miss Allardyce with a grimy forefinger. "'I knew she didn't ought to go across Wee Wiver, and I knew Wee Wedgiment would come to me if I sent Jack home.' "'You're a hero, Winky,' said Coppy. "'A puka hero!' "'I don't know what that means,' said Wee Willie Winky. "'But you mustn't call me Winky any no more. I'm Percival Willem Willems.' And in this manner did Wee Willie Winky enter into his manhood. End of Wee Willie Winkie